I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm lucky today to be joined by Jana Etienne. Jana, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You have had a fabulous career, uh, and I'd love to hear more about it. How did you get to where you are today? How much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. You know, I'm a CPA um, by profession, and I spent something close to 20-some years in the profession as a practicing CPA. Um, wow. But I also have always been active in my business community. I was involved in local nonprofits. I was a volunteer. I was involved in the local chamber and business um, organizations. And volunteering as a CPA is how I ended up leaving public accounting and working at the AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, what I jokingly refer to as the mothership for CPAs. Um, and I well, worked there. And while working there, I got more involved in in all things around the profession. And as a minority woman, um, I'm half Filipino and half black, but outwardly I appear to be black to most people who wouldn't question things. Um, and I got more involved in diversity conversations as a result, which led me to my role at NABA, National Association of Black Accountants, which is how I ended up being a diversity person in, the, in one of the largest CPA firms um, in the United States, certainly around the world. So it's an interesting journey that I can't say was planned or clear or direct. It was more like I go someplace, I look up, and there's new opportunities. So I check one out. And when I get there, I look up, look, there's new opportunities, and I check them out. And I found my way here. So it's not a beautiful story, but it's my story. Does that make sense? I love it. And I, I think there is a real talent in knowing how to – and having the knowing when to take up opportunity and having the courage to follow it um, – I always think there's such an adage about, you know, everyone asks high school students, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like they know where the world is going to take them. And I think we have to be so, we, we can't, we, we have to be open to opportunity and to zigging and zagging to have the most exciting career. So um, I'm really interested in what you said specifically about what it's like to be intersectional, to represent different races that are not white and to also be a woman and be in this world of corporate accounting. What was, how do you think that influenced your experience and frankly, your career path? So what's interesting is that I don't know that it overtly did. And I say, therefore, I'm the exception in this rule and not the norm. So conversations about struggling as a person with an identity that's black um, or a black woman in a profession and being aware of that struggle, that's probably not a conversation I can inform. Uh, I say that because being biracial, and in my case, my mother was Filipino. So the, the, the identity that I looked at, the woman that I looked at in building my identity was not a black woman. The home that I grew up in culturally was not a traditional African-American household. My father pretty much left all things to the household to my mom. So I had as far from a traditional African-American upbringing, if there is such a thing, as you can have, to the point where I didn't even understand what it meant to navigate the world in this particular color skin 
until I got a hard smack of reality going to college. Wow. So I think that, so I think that it's, it's interesting. And, and as I've learned and talked with more and more people over the last several years, my experience isn't unique. It's just one that all of us hide from everyone else because we want to appear to be like everyone around us. It just makes it easier. You don't want to have to battle every day or share your story every day. Um, so I, I think that what I've learned, though, is that lack of awareness, I've missed opportunities to really help pave the way forward for others um, and to really be a champion for those who might be aware of the struggle and not sure how to navigate through it. And so, but now you've taken up that mantle and that is the, the main thing that you do. So talk about what led you to that decision and, and how do you think about paying it forward now? So I think about, let me start with how do I think about paying it forward? Um, because the other answer is much harder. Um, or maybe it's more unclear. In terms of paying it forward, I feel that when you're in the role of a, if you're a diversity and inclusion person, whatever your level is, whether you're participating in an employee or business resource group, whether you're a leader, for example, in a public accounting firm, you might be a partner, you might be a principal, um, so you're a form of an owner, and you have a lot of influence, and you're a minority, ethnic minority, racial minority, LGBTQ, whatever, any of the categories of minority, if you're a partner and you're in one of those minority spaces, or you're the DNI person, paid full-time job, it gives me permission to agitate. And I feel like I have the obligation to say things in rooms where others may never say things, whether because they're not comfortable saying them or they don't want to take the risk or they don't necessarily think it's appropriate or it's not their job. My job is to say those things and to ask those questions to try to create space. So, for example, there are a lot of things um, that have really changed for us as women generally. But when you dig a little deeper and you start looking within just a group of women at all the different types of women from a diversity perspective, there are so many subgroups that still are struggling through underrepresentation, access, permission, and empowerment, even though generically as women, we have all of those things on paper, at least, in the business community. And it varies across the different professions as well. And so my job is to constantly remind everybody. And it, it, sometimes I feel like I'm a nag, but somebody's got to do it. And if I don't, who will, you know, in my role as a DNI person? Well, and I, I think you do raise a very important point, which is, if it's not part of every conversation, if someone isn't constantly keeping everyone on point, it's easy for diversity to fall by the wayside because it's it, life in corporations and life in, in firms, it's complicated and busy and difficult. And there's a lot of competing priorities. And so someone has to help make sure it's always the priority. And it must, it must make a real difference. Tell me about I couldn't you. agree with you more. Tell me about you in your past. Um, who has been a great mentor to you? Who has mattered and helped you along the way? And what did you learn from them? You know, it's interesting. I, in, in trying to plan for this conversation, I was thinking back about the books that I've read and the sponsors and mentors and champions. 
And I've had a few. Um, Jim Metzler, for example, is a great, great um, advocate and sponsor and mentor for me. And he was a, a leader at the AICPA. He's since retired. Um, he was the first person who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself professionally that sparked me to, to try to move outside of my comfort zone. And that was really important. But I, would, I, I think the most important people who have influenced my life are my parents and my husband. My parents, because I, I lived in a household that just expected to be treated like everyone else. And I learned, I didn't learn this, I think, until almost college, that my parents couldn't um, marry in the state of Maryland. It was actually illegal in the state of Maryland for an interracial marriage. They had to go to the to D.C. to get married. It's just like the loving story. If everybody's heard that, seen that movie. Wow. So but this is the, but my parents did marry, and they established a home. They actually decided to move to Columbia, Maryland. And I grew up in a household that didn't settle for second class treatment of any kind. So I never even learned to doubt. That goes back to my earlier comment about I'm probably not the person to ask about how did I brave through this space because I sort of was like walking through the space unknowingly. Um, but you I'm were really armed that. with the confidence. I mean, that is a, it's yeah. a real testament to your family. It's incredible. Yeah, and I learned my father also, he was the first ever in his family that I know of to go to college. That's the way he told me. And I, I, I wonder how much of that I thought, well, if you can do it, I can do it and more, you know? So got it. You cha challenge accepted kind of thing. It's all about, all about setting the right example, right? Yes, but not just the example. You know, my, I have two boys, age 22 and 24. And um, I, I know that for me, I've always seen parenting I've described it like this so often. Imagine you're an artist and imagine you're a sculptor. And today I'm going to, this next project, I'm going to sculpt a statue out of marble. You have to have a vision for what that sculpture is going to look like from the very first chink into the marble. Do you know what I mean? Because if you don't, every time you chip a piece off, you can't put it back. And every time you make a little chip, you are working toward the finished product. If you make a chip and the chip is wrong, you got to work around it and work it into your newly revised plan. And for me, that's how I looked at parenting. I looked at parenting as um, every chip I make, which is every conversation, every exchange, every lesson, whatever, I am forming these men. And I've never lost sight of that from the – I don't even know where I got that thinking from. This is just the way I've always thought of it. Um, I've never lost sight of that. And so I think as a parent, it's part of what you said instilling that into your kids, but it's also understanding that as parents, we are rented these human spirits. They give, they're given to us for protection. They're not ours to control. They're not ours to own. They're ours to guide and to lead and to help form into whatever they were already going to be and to try to optimize whatever that's going to be. That's how I see well, parenting. That's how I see leadership in companies. You know? I love it. And it's an important analogy to help us remember just how hefty the responsibility is and how much impact every everything we're doing has. Yeah, big and small, I couldn't agree with you more. So you alluded to this a bit. Um, when we survey women, consistently the way they evaluate their experience at the company is through whether they have a good manager. 
So what mm-hmm. makes a good manager, both in terms of effective leadership, but also support and promotion of corporate diversity? The best manager that I ever had listened. Um, I've, I've always struggled sometimes to articulate my thoughts clearly because I think in visual imagery and pictures, which aren't always easy to translate particularly when you're brainstorming, troubleshooting a problem. You know, I might be able to see the strategy in, the, in some abject, uh, I mean abject, what's the word? Um, some abstract version of gears and whatnot. But to try to map it out into the appropriate business words that whatever company you're in likes to use, because every company has slightly different lingo, sometimes that's a challenge. My best manager was able to let me sort of think out loud and help validate what I was thinking and tried to ensure that he, by the way, it was, a, it was a guy, he was understanding my intention, not filtering for what he wanted me to be saying or what he thought I was saying. He, wanted, he validated that. That was super powerful, and I learned a lot from that because it doesn't matter what you say. It only matters what I hear. And if I hear something different than what you say and I don't validate that, I'm over here often running as a boss and sometimes subordinates aren't comfortable with saying, well, um, um, boss, that's not what I said. Or boss, that's not what yeah. I meant. So he did right. that and, and I, I thought that was very, very important. It's so true that for so many reasons, because we all come from different experiences and different days of different frame of mind, there's the, the world's rife with miscommunications. And this idea that you set a standard by which you're going to uh, clarify and elaborate so that you're really clear on what everybody is feeling and saying is so important. And I really, I, I applaud your manager who was so thoughtful about enforcing a conversation around that context. There's, there's one important aspect to that then that moves on to the part as it connects to D&I, and that is making a safe space. Yes. And that's right. One of the things that he did without realizing he was doing it and validating me and confirming me and, and, and working with me just, just day to day, I'm not saying he needed to sort of like tutor me or fix me, but I mean it in the broader context of it's just the way we worked. It was, it was, it was a safe place to say what you thought, even if you weren't sure, if, you know, I'm about to say something, even if I don't know if I believe it or not, but let me just throw it out there kind of thinking. Or you could raise your hand and say, I'm sorry, boss. I'm not sure I agree with that. Or you could say, I don't know, boss. I'm not feeling good today. I could use some help. Whatever it was, the place was safe. And if the place is safe for me to show up for what I need, the longer and the more, um, confident I am in, in navigating that space, the more likely I'm also to sh- stop covering things. And that's where the beauty starts to show up from a DNI perspective, because diversity is easy. All I have to do is identify what differences matter and then count them. Like diversity is done. It's a data game. It's a counting exercise. It's a reporting process. Inclusion, on the other hand, is two-sided. The company has to have the intention to be inclusive and appreciate what that means in policy and in process and everything, communication styles. But the employees have to then feel safe enough to show up 
trusting that intention and let their guard down. They have to show up and speak. They have to show up and challenge. They have to show up and share rather than try to anticipate what it is I think my boss wants me to say and then say that thing. And I think that, that, that was really powerful, and he didn't even know he was doing that. I will tell you this, though. We did have lunch, I think, last year. Um, this was an old, older boss. We had lunch, and I thanked him for doing those things for me because it took me a while to, see, to really appreciate that he had done those things for me. That's amazing. Well, that's a real credit, and I hope he's off somewhere coaching people on how to do this more. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about work-life balance. I think, you know, this comes up so often for our audience, and you've clearly brilliantly and successfully parented two young men to adulthood while having a very robust career in accounting. So how did you manage it, and how do you make time for things even today that are, are uh, your personal passions outside work? First, I was lucky enough to have my own firm. I ran my own firm for 17 years. And those 17 years were the first 17 years of my older son's life. And so I also had a husband who 100% supported me um, because I don't think any of us can do it alone. Whether I was married or not, I couldn't have done this alone. Um, right. And there was a period of time my husband went back to school, got his MBA, uh, and after he graduated, he had this amazing job opportunity to, to do this internship, but it wasn't a paying position. He had been going to school full-time, and we, hadn't, we had been living off of my income at that, up until that moment. So I thought, what the hell, what's one more year? So he did it. And so he worked without – he had an internship for a year that was unpaid, and we lived off of my income. And by then, my practice had grown to the point where – reducing the side of my practice would have been harder. And I loved all my clients and I didn't want to, have to tell anybody I was firing them, blah, 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 blah. So we made a decision that my husband would, um, his job would be the second job and my job would be the primary. And so we ended up in what, and did you in talk about it that explicitly? Or reverse world. We, we you said it in did, so many words. We're weird, yeah. we're weird like that. And eventually no, he became a full-time kind of candor that's required. It is, but it's also hard to have because we aren't even trained to have these types of conversations in terms of what's my role as the mother and the wife and what's and the sister and the daughter and his role and in, in, in the, in the male equivalent of all of those. Um, I mean, even we're talking today in business about being more aware of various genders, gender identity and gender fluidity. But we didn't even have the language to have that conversation, um, and we had to figure that out. And ultimately, my husband actually spent something like four years, maybe five, as a full-time stay-at-home dad. When he left one of his, um, he left a position, and just it didn't seem like there was it was a, the best place for him to be was would be home, because the option for me at that time wasn't to just walk away from this practice. It's harder, as I learned, to unwind a business after a point. And it, you can't just yeah. close the doors and turn off the lights and walk away. And so part of the reason I was able to navigate the career, my career the way I did was because I did it on my own terms, but I had a team that supported me, my mother, my brothers, my husband, his family, my friends. No one ever 
I got nothing but positive support. No one ever said, oh, my God, you don't spend enough time with your family and judged me for it. You know, that my, my husband was a full-time parent without the benefit of a spouse during tax season for more years than we could, you know, honest. I mean, I think there were weeks that I would only see my kids briefly during the day during tax season at, at its worst. Wow. Well, as they say, it takes a village. Yes. It does, but you have to be willing to accept the help of that village, and that's what I would say from a work-life balance perspective. You have to understand what is important to you, the person. And it's hard because we all as women want to be the – we want to be the mother that you want – that others think we should be perhaps. We live up – we try to live into these role models or these ideas of women that might not agree to ourselves our own ideas. And I think that if we as women can be honest about what we want, it's okay if you don't want children, for example. It's okay. And it's okay if you want seven. Don't let other people's judgments about what is right or wrong influence you. You get clear on what you want, and then look at what you need to do to make those things happen, and then do those things. It's really, it's not easy to do, but it's that simple, the formula. The work is hard, but from a work-life balance perspective, if you're very clear in your priorities and focus on those, all that little minutia will fall away over time. And in hindsight, you'll be more grateful for having a, that sort of richness to your life over time. I love it. It's great advice. And we all do try to be what everyone else expects. And I think it takes so much courage in work, at home, you know, mm-hmm. as a parent, yeah. as an employee, to, to be our own person and have our own compass as to what's acceptable. So to that point, would you be willing to tell us about a mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? I won't. I'm willing to share one sort of lessons learned generically. So I I had an opportunity um, in my career. I had an opportunity to take a role that I wasn't sure was the right role for me. And on paper it looked good, but I, I wasn't sure it was the right role. Um, and and because I wasn't sure, I reached out for some guidance from some colleagues and some friends and, you know, uh, clients, that kind of thing. And everyone else thought it was a good idea. And I thought, well, if I don't, if I don't do this, um, then I don't want to look stupid in the eyes of all the people who I was talking with. So I did it. Turned it out to be it was a horrible thing. The lesson I learned there was when you know, you know, and when you don't, there's your answer. And if I had listened to that, well, first I had to know it then. But if I had listened to it then, I probably would have said no. I probably would have said, thank you, I'm not ready for this, but come back to me in a little while. Maybe I can help you next time. Um, but I didn't. And it, it's one of those the few things in my life I regret doing. But by the same token, I'm grateful for having learned the experience. I love it. And I think it's okay to make mistakes, right? It's okay to make the wrong choice because you learn from it and there's this experience that comes out of it. All right. So I'm going to move to our fun five questions. Would you tell us, Shana, what is your favorite karaoke song? To sing or hear? To sing? Either. Both. Um, uh, The only karaoke I've ever sung is Out Here on My Own by Irene Cara, from the movie Fame. From Fame. I love that movie. That's a great song. I forgot about that one. It's my personal theme song, one of them anyway, so that's why why I've done it. (laughs) I love it. 
what is your favorite way to exercise, either your body or your mind? I bought a Peloton bike in April, and I'm hooked. Between riding the bike and walking and running and meditating, it's all there, and I love it. And it's a community thing. It's awesome. I love that. Cool. Who is one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to have dinner with? If I could go back and have just one conversation, it would be my mother. She sounds like she was an incredible woman who left such an influence on you and she supported was. you so and much. She, she was my office manager when I was in practice for probably half of the time. And everybody in my, all my clients called her mom because my office manager spells out mom. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. I love that story. Um, what book has had the greatest impact on your life? Probably The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Um, e then myth, M-Y-T-H. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No, um, what's it about? But in, It's the book about small business entrepreneurship and what small businesses, what small business owners, it's a book about the mistakes that small business owners make. And E stands for entrepreneur. So it's the entrepreneurial myth, so to speak. And, and it's in that book I learned that my business is not my life. My business is a way to support me so that I can live my life. It was a fundamental turning point. And after I read that book and just changed my frame of mind, no kidding, my, my practice doubled each year for the two consecutive years after that. And it's the kind of thing that I can't make up. Wow. I do, I do a presentation we'll called Accountancy. Yes, I would encourage everyone to read it. So at Fairy Godboss, we have a tradition. We ask all of our participants to brag about themselves. We know women are not as comfortable bragging. So I'm going to ask you, could you brag? To, and I bet you actually, given, having talked to you, Jana, I bet you are, are appropriately good at bragging. I would like you to tell me something that's great about you. Brag for me. Yeah, I'm not that good at bragging. Um, if you ask me to tell you something I do really well or that I'm good at, I'm going to struggle. But I think something I'm proud of doing, especially if I'm talking to other women about the things we struggle with, there's a moment in my closet I remember standing in the mirror and looking at myself. I was just in my underwear. I never thought I was beautiful. And I looked at myself and I accepted. Why are you making me cry? I said that I am, I said to myself out loud that I'm beautiful just the way I am. And I believed it in that moment. And it was the first time in my life that I had had that moment, and I've never forgotten it. And I'm so proud that I was able to get there because it's been a journey for me to get there. I feel confident, but I'm not nearly confident story, as I Jana. Thank you for sharing that. That's incredible. And see, I knew you would be a good. You would give us a great brag. You did a great job, and that is, I mean, that's really inspirational. Incredible. Thank you. Oh, All right, thanks. so I'm on to my last question, and hopefully I'm going to make you cry anymore. What is one piece of advice you can share with our audience of talented, ambitious women? <sighs> I, I don't have any great words of wisdom or great advice. I think it really comes down to um, 
you know, at the Etienne family, we have a bunch of sayings and mottos. Well, our family motto is stop before you hurt yourself, but I won't use that one here. The, the one that comes up for me right now is not with that attitude. And it bears some explanation. Um, my son was trying to do something that you can't do. I don't know, like pretend it was like put water back into the faucet, something silly, a bad example. But he kept trying to do it and trying to do it, and I kept saying, Dominic, you can't do it. You can't do that. And Dominic kept saying, well, not with that attitude. And Dominic did all kinds of things that made my husband and I scratch our heads. Like this boy knows that, that you're not supposed to do it, but he keeps trying anyway. And he would always tell us, not with that attitude. And what we learned was, it was our own thinking that was holding us back more than the limitations that are out there in the world. So if I were to give people advice, the next time you hit a wall or the next time you think you can't or the next time you're struggling with something, remind yourself, not with that attitude. And, and hopefully you'll put yourself in check and go, wait, shake it off. I can do this. All you got to do is fix the attitude. I love it. That's wonderful. Well, you've taught me a lot today about – how important it is to follow your own compass and not do things just because they're what other people expect. You talked about how important it is to create safe spaces in our workplace. And I think most importantly, this idea of, are we listening? How are we listening? And are we level setting for the conversation? Jenna, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for making time. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy Godboss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.